extend a welcome to you this morning. Trust you've uh, truly been blessed for being here this morning in the Sunday School Hour. As we discussed the uh, function of the body of Christ and what it means to you and what it means to me and all of us together. I don't know if you remember, but uh, and that's fine if you don't, but uh, when I preached before Christmas, I, I preached on First John, pardon me, John 1, Jesus becoming the living word and uh, showing us how to flesh out uh, Christianity in a very, very real way and what he expects from us as uh, his followers and... Uh, that message was kind of the uh, the seed for as I we, we primarily think of, of the mission of Jesus, and that certainly is a very focal part of Jesus' ministry. Him coming as the Messiah and providing the redemption for for mankind. But uh, as I prepared for that, I, I also became aware that Jesus had uh, also had some appearances in the Old Testament as well. He was with the Father in the creation of the world. And then I, I, the second message that I shared, I looked at uh, some of the uh, encounters where Jesus was thought, according to Bible scholars, to be uh, involved in the coming of, well, talking with uh, Abraham and Isaac and uh, and Hagar and that uh, misconstrued uh, conception there. Um, so there was, I think I pulled three, uh, and the third one's slipping in my mind. Oh, it was a sacrifice of Isaac all closely tied to what Jesus' real purpose and, and maybe I shouldn't say real purpose and meaning, meaning in life is, but rather his, his focal purpose, and that was the, the bringing of a child into the world and, and Abraham and Isaac, the typology that is there. And uh, so I, as I prepared for that message, I also began, became aware of the fact that there are other accounts in the Old Testament. And the three that I want to look at this morning are, are again, three accounts that Bible scholars would uh, uh, give credibility to that this was the presence of the of Jesus in the Old Testament. And these all, ironically, in, uh, inv- involve uh, fire. And uh, so for the first one this morning, I, I like to look at Jesus in the Old Testament and, and his, imper- his appearance in the Old Testament as it involved and they all three involve fire. But the first one I want to invite your attention to is Exodus chapter 3. Very familiar Old Testament account here. And I thought it was rather interesting as Roderick made the selection that he did. I don't know if it, it caught my attention because I knew what I was going to be sharing about. And that's the, the focal point in, in me sharing this morning is, is what I'd like you to think about. And at the end of the third verse there, it says, uh, Await a new creature are. Almighty God set us aflame. Talk about God lighting the flame, lighting the flame of our hearts for His glory, uh, to show the glories of Thy name, and uh, so you can think about that that principal truth of God lighting the fire of your heart, your life, making you a, an, a, an illuminant uh, torch for His glory. I want to read this uh, Exodus chapter three verses one through fifteen. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. 
And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, and thou may, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto, unto God, Behold, when I am come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So we have the character of Moses here. And uh, appearing uh, to Moses, Jesus in the form of a burning bush as the liberator and the deliverer. Moses as as God, uh, as a type of Jesus Christ, being a deliverer for the Israelites from Egypt, a type of the world. Uh, may just draw a couple of things here, a couple of your attention to a couple of things. First of all, notice Moses' occupation, that of a shepherd. And... Uh, you know Moses' background and, and where he grew up. You know, you think of a shepherd who was uh, lowly and despised among the Egyptians. And here is Moses at the bottom of the totem pole who had everything going for him, as you might say, as he was tutored and, and educated in the, the ways of Egypt. And yet here we find him uh, in the lowly position of a shepherd. And uh, that's when God was able to come to him and get his attention and... Uh, and was able to call him and to use him. Now he, as a shepherd, was working for his father, his father-in-law rather, uh, priest of the Midians. And uh, I like the location. It says the backside of the desert. Uh, thinking about the occupation, uh, you know, as I think about you and I, occupations, how how important occupations are for us. Uh, you know, Luke chapter 19, verse 13, Jesus told us, he says, occupy till I come. And uh, certainly God does expect us to be busy. He doesn't, he doesn't expect us to be idle. And idleness, we know, is the devil's workshop. God expects us to be busy, to be productive. Uh, Moses here, I believe, was uh, uh, busy. He was productive. He was providing. Uh, 
But it was not so much that God could not get his attention. Backside of the Sinai Desert there, the peninsula. And uh, God uh, got his attention through the, uh, the uniqueness of that burning bush which was not consumed. You know, we see fire, we, we, we know it consumes. But this, is some, this was something extraordinary, very extraordinary. And uh, so uh, we see Moses here going from a prince in Egypt to a shepherd, a deliverer uh, from, and serving as a deliverer from bondage for uh, God's people. Thinking of whom he was working for in this vocation as a shepherd, he was working for uh, coming from uh, a prince in Egypt for Pharaoh to his father-in-law, a priest of Midian. And then moving into transitioning into working for the I am, the greatest of all things, the greatest God that created even all the wonders of Egypt and the wonders of the Sinai Desert. Um, so Moses was transitioning. He was in a transition here. God had a work for him to do. And uh, he went from Pharaoh, which seemed to have all that the world had to offer, to a shepherd in in the uh, Sinai Desert to serving as a deliverer and a and a uh, for the great I am. So I thought about the occupation. I, I asked myself, who do you and who do I work for? Um, are we are we open to that presence of Jesus in our lives so that we can be liberators? We can serve as deliverers and a channel of deliverance for those only as we point people to to the I am the great. Deliverer. And I believe it's important to be involved in temporal occupation as well, but you know, it needs to be secondary. The location where God got his attention was the backside of the Sinai Desert, Horb or Mount Sinai, which is the same. Um, you know, it was probably not the most cushy place to be. I, I'm thinking it was a rather harsh environment. Uh, compared to what Egypt had to offer. and uh, But, you know, I believe that's where God wanted Moses at that time. And when we, we think about being where God wants us to be, you know, where God wants us to be is actually the best place for you and me if we're where God wants us to be. Whether it's in the courts of Pharaoh, we know that God used Joseph in a very powerful way at, at a time, uh, Moses was there for a period of time. I think he probably learned a lot of great leadership skills uh, in leading the million-plus people out of Egypt. Uh, but yet there came a time when I think God had to bring Moses to the backside of the Sinai Desert so that he could talk to him and give him instruction. And uh, the impressive thing is that, that, that Moses said, okay, I'm going to turn aside and I'm going to see this wonder. And... Uh, God, when God had Moses' attention, that's when God could communicate to him. How much does it take for God to get your attention this morning? How much does it take for God to get my attention? Is it something dramatic? You think of the 9-11 event and that got the attention of the world. But, you know, I believe God wants our attention daily. And, uh, you know, don't wait for those crucial times in our lives when we're, our back is against the wall and we have no other recourse. I believe God daily would desire to give us instruction. Being where God wants us to be is always the best place. I was, in verse 2, I wanted to mention also, again, if you remember what I mentioned the other time, it says, uh, 
we see the angel, uh, and that's why Bible scholars seem to think it's, it's probably Jesus, not an angel, but the angel, and it was an unusual fire that was getting his attention. Certainly, uh, I believe it would be fitting to think that it was indeed the presence of, of Jesus here. Uh, Moses, verse 3, he turned aside. Uh, I thought of the verse in one, Psalm 111, verse 2, The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. How much do I seek the Lord? How much do I seek His His uh, His presence and His instruction in my life? Uh, another thing I noticed in verse 4, uh, God knows new Moses' name. God knows each one of our names here this morning. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called on him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. To think that God, the God of the universe, the God of, of all things, knows each one of our names personally is, is a challenge. And, uh, you know, humanly speaking, we, we like to remember names. We like to know names. We like, it gives us a bit of confidence if we can walk up to somebody and, and, and give them, you know, we can name them. But, there's times when we, we, we recognize a face, but we don't have the name anymore. And sometimes it takes a while till we get the name, but not that way with God. He knows our names, and he knows us intimately. Another thing that challenged me as I thought about this experience with, uh, and again, it parallels the, the life and ministry of Christ. And, you know, think, look at verse 5, what it says. It says, he, invite, he invited Moses to draw nigh. God wants us to... To have a personal relationship with him. Draw nigh. He, you know, and I, I don't know what Moses, you know, I can imagine he was a little bit hesitant and, uh, you know, so this bush is burning and it's not being consumed. That's, that's a little bit, you know, disconcerting, isn't it? But God spoke out to him. He said, draw nigh. Come on closer. God wants each one of us to draw close to him in his, in our walk with him and his relationship. Uh, he wants us to experience him. He wants us to feel him. He wants to to develop and cultivate a a, a real personal relationship with him. Another thing that challenged me in verse seven, um, he says, "I have seen." God says, "I have seen." Is there anything that God has not seen? Absolutely, anything that God has not seen. I don't think so. God sees everything. He says, I have seen the affliction of my people. God sees what each one of us are experiencing today personally. And uh, so that's a challenge to me. I have seen. God has seen. And uh, verse 8, he says, I have I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. But he wanted to use Moses. God God wants to deliver all mankind. But he uses he has, he has uh, selected to use the channel of of mankind in, in bringing that deliverance through the sharing of the Word of God, through fleshing out the Word of God, through living the Word of God. You know, how do people understand the language of love unless you and I as Christians, as as fellow Christians of the kingdom of God, speak that language? They need to understand that language. And, uh, you know, sometimes our carnality gets in the way of speaking that language of love. Another challenging truth from, from Jesus' experience and talking with Moses here. And again, I, I'm just impressed as I, all these characteristics that, that we see here presented in this encounter with Moses are so parallel to, to the life of Jesus. Uh, verse 12, he says, I will be with thee. We claim the presence of Jesus daily, don't we? We ought to as his children. Uh, as, our, as our heavenly father, he's, he's providing, he's caring for us. He's leading us. 
And uh, he gives that assurance to Moses in verse 12. He says, I will be with you. What greater promise can any one of us take with us in our walk through and journey through life to realize that that God is, that Jesus is with us through the experiences of uh, that he's calling us to do. And uh, we know that uh, Moses had his failures in leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. But uh, by and large, as, as Moses lost his identity in, in Jesus, in God, I think it was a very effective uh, process. And, uh, you know, taking them from Egypt, which was a type of the world, to the land of Canaan, which is a type of the kingdom of God. And uh, so there's, a, there's number one. Number two... I want to take you to Exodus, back further in the book of Exodus, Exodus 13. And this involves that deliverance from Egypt and again involves a a pillar of fire by night as God, as it symbolized God's presence with the children of Israel as they left the land of Egypt. I'm going to read verses uh, in chapter 13, Exodus 13, verses 17 through uh, verse 22. And it came to pass, and I'm, I'm missing a lot here, but you know, you know the account when, when Moses went to Pharaoh, all that transpired, at least I hope you do, because that's a story in itself. You know, all that happened, the way God miraculously showed and worked. But here we come to verse 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God let them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God let the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up, harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away from hence with you. Now remember I mentioned Joseph before, and, and that has to do with Joseph faithfully serving in his generation. And uh, he had instructed the the coming generation that they were supposed to take him along. And, you know, strange, strange cargo, isn't it? But uh, yet he wanted to go along. And I, I can admire his desire to be there. I, I'm not sure why. Does it matter where you're buried? Well, it did to Joseph, I guess, put it that way. Uh, seems like maybe a little strange request, but uh, I, I'm not going to fault him. And uh, I'm blessing Moses for doing that. Anyway, uh, God led them by a pillar of fire, and uh, God delivered Israel and us through Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. It's actually only the beginning of the story. And I notice in verse 17, it says that uh, when Pharaoh let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, but rather he's led them through the way uh, of the wilderness. And uh, that was a, a an experience... And, uh, you know, it, it maybe was not the shortest route. Christianity isn't necessarily the shortest route either, is it? There's God, I believe, has a, a task for us to do as we journey from, from earth to glory. And it's not necessarily the shortest route. He has a work for us to do and accomplish. And that, that distance sometimes is, is different for us, uh, each one of us. It may be different. But uh, God knew their capabilities, their weakness. And uh, the thing that challenged me in verse 17 is the fact that God has the plan. You and I don't have the plan. God has the plan. He knows what the plan is for each one of our lives. And how many of us sitting here this morning would say, well, you know, I didn't really plan for this or that or the other thing. But God planned it, and let's accept it as that. And uh, know that 
that he has a purpose in, in doing that, and he's going to be with us, and he's going to enable us to do that. Whatever we encounter. Remember, he said, told Moses, he said, I will be with you. Wherever that journey goes, wilderness or wherever, God has the plan. I, I, I don't know if you thought, caught that in verse 18, but, uh, he led them, uh, he led the people by, out by the way of the wilderness through the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Now what do you think that means? Harnessed out of the land of Egypt. I'm not sure I, I fully understand what it meant. I did a little bit of research on it, but, uh, the NIV says armed for battle, I believe. Uh, so I'm like, okay. <laughs> Uh, God said he didn't want to take them up by the short way by the land of the Philistines lest they see war and they're going to become... The, God knew they were no match. Uh, but yet God was a match. Why didn't God take them the short way? Well, God had a purpose for leading them through the wilderness. That was, And I think the, the short version of that is the fact that he wanted to have their complete trust. He wanted to have their complete uh, realizing that they were completely dependent on him. It wasn't... I don't know what for what for armor they brought with them out of Egypt, but I'm guessing it was probably pretty, uh, you know, in today's language compared to the sophisticated weaponry that our countries have, it, it probably would have been, uh, you know, swords and spears. So it was probably no match for what the Philistines had. Um, I guess the, 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 the truth that I get from that message is the fact that it's not the implements of war that we take along with us, but it's who our commander-in-chief is. God, again, remember, had a plan. And he knew that plan going through the wilderness was going to be beneficial for that million-plus people as they walked through the, the wilderness of the Sinai Desert and learned to follow Moses. So I'm, I'm thinking that's what it meant, uh, harnessed out of the land, land of Egypt. They brought what swords, you know, rather uh, substandard weaponry with them, whatever it was. might have been swords and spears, I'm not sure. But it was probably no match for for the Philistines. And God, I think, along with that, wanted to train them and to teach them the experience of the wilderness and their trust on Him. Uh, what is the wilderness? What effect is the wilderness having on us? It's a question I ask you. What effect does the wilderness have on us? We read the story of the children of Israel and we say, yeah, they should have known that. You know, we get kind of cynical about them. But you know, how much better do we do? in our wilderness experience in the world today, as I'm describing the wilderness. Do I totally trust in the Lord? Do I realize that that God has a plan? He's my commander-in-chief. I'm taking my instructions from him. I'm not figuring out the way. Lord, here, you tell me which way to go now. You know the enemy. You know what lies ahead. You know, uh, verse 20, And they took their journey from Sokoth and encamped in Ethan in the edge of the wilderness. And uh, maybe I stopped reading before that. I guess I stopped at verse 19. I want to mention verse 20. Uh, but they took their journey. And uh, God isn't going to carry you on that journey. You needed to, They needed to walk themselves. They needed to propel themselves. They had to get going. And, you know, it took... It took ambition. And, uh, you know, what were the choices? They could have stayed in Egypt. Was that really what they wanted? No. Uh, they, their faith was what drove them forth through the wilderness experience. Um, and the Lord went before them by 
by day in a pillar of cloud and to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. So there we have the fire. And uh, they would, uh, Bible scholars would project that that was Jesus in that pillar of fire, perhaps. They took their journey, and uh, he will go before them. He went before them just as he'll go before us in our journey as well. And uh, again in verse 22, he says, He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God was true to his word. He was with them by day and by night. Very precious promise that you and I can claim as well. For the third illustration of of fire this morning, I want to take you back to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6. I'd like to read verses 1 through 23. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. Now, isn't that interesting? We started with uh, Moses, who was working for his father-in-law, Jethro, a priest of the Midianites. And here we find the children of Israel, who are actually being suppressed by the Midianites. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the den... Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites and the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no subsistence for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor os. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished. I want you to think of that. Greatly impoverished. Because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I deliver you out of the land, out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. Now he's he's reflecting back on what we were talking about just a little bit ago. He's saying how God so miraculously brought them up and delivered them, and here they are again, back in bondage again to the Midianites. Verse ten. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertaineth unto Joash the Abezerite and his son Gideon. Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord, notice again, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where is all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. 
And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come. And Gideon went in, made ready a kid, and on leaven cakes of epit, a flour, and the flesh he put in the basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and brought it out unto him under the oak, and presented it. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there arose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived... That he, would, that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. So there we have another incident of involving fire, the angel consuming Gideon's sacrifice or gift by fire. But uh, as I looked at this account here and... Uh, in verse 6, again, I want to emphasize, it says the children of Israel were greatly impoverished. Greatly impoverished. And I thought about that. I thought, you know, that was describing the children of Israel. But does that not describe everybody who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ? They're greatly impoverished. Uh, they're lacking. They are not what they ought to be. They're not what God's expecting them to be. They're not what God wants them to be. We are the poorest of poor if we're without the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and any time. We are greatly impoverished. Do I recognize that? What does that look like? What does being greatly impoverished look like? Well, we have a picture of it here. They were, they were, they had, uh, they had dug can- uh, uh, dens in the mountain caves and they were, their subsistence was, was, you know, it was down to, I think physically down to maybe the last little bit. And, uh, from a spiritual sense, we, are greatly impoverished if we are without the Lord Jesus Christ. When we got God, we've got everything. We've got the Lord, we've got everything. Verse seven, they did a good, they did a good thing. They cried unto the Lord. And uh, I'm challenged by that. I, I think it's, it's a cry we need to make. We need to cry to the Lord. God hears that cry. He says that in verse nine. God answered and remind them of the past. And, uh, again, I want to emphasize in verse ten. God reminded them gently, I believe, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Obedience is an integral part of a walk with the Lord. Obedience is an integral part of, of knowing who Jesus is and, and expecting uh, a relationship with him. We need to obey him. We need to be faithful in knowing what, uh, doing what we know to do. Um, notice in verses 11 13, we see the, the dialogue there between Jesus, the angel of the Lord, and Gideon. And uh, I, I like Gideon's uh, assessment of himself. Verse 15, he says, uh, um, and he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So he said he realized that what he had to offer was really, really, really not a whole lot. And I think that's the place all of us need to come. We really can bring nothing to the altar of God. It's we need to be emptied of self, totally emptied of self. Lord, we, we sometimes think we have those those little traits that we were talking about, sense of class, perhaps that that we, you know maybe the kingdom of God can benefit, and and those are gifts that God has gives. What's what's the old saying? God doesn't choose qualified 
servants, but he qualifies those he calls to serve. And we, we hear that sometimes. And I think that's true. Uh, you know, once I, I think I have a quality and a character, then I, maybe I've lost it. And, uh, but it's only when God, when I realize that, that, the, that gift is from God and I want to give it and present it for the benefit of the body and the glory of God that it can be of any worth or value. Again, in verse 16, we see that, and the Lord said unto, unto him, unto Gideon, surely I will be with thee. Again, another re-emphasize of, of God coming and saying, I'll be with you. I've got a task for you to do. I've got something for you to do. Each one of us here has a task to do. Can we claim that promise this morning uh, that God has said, I will be with you, whether it's parenting, whether it's whatever it might be, whether it's being a student, a truck driver, or uh, whatever. God has called us for that, and he will be with us. Verse 17, Gideon desired confirmation. And I, I don't know what to say about that, I guess. Uh, do we need confirmation? I, I don't think it's wrong. Gideon asked for it. God honored it, so I'm certainly not going to say it's wrong. Uh, probably one of the things I, I think we need to ask ourselves is why do we want the confirmation? Uh, you know, we're lacking in faith. Maybe we need to be honest and say, Lord, I'm lacking in faith. Uh, I need some confirmation. Uh, So yeah, I, I'm not sure I have the full answer of that. I, God blessed Gideon and uh, again gave a powerful confirmation. You know, if, if if I guess I'm challenged with the way that Gideon uh, asked for that. He he seemed very hospitable in in uh, bringing that gift. I, you know, you think of the sacrifice, and maybe that's a clue right there. God, I believe, requires sacrifice, and He wants us to bring what we have. And then he can give the confirmation. You know, if, if things were as impoverished as, as it sounds here, as I picture here, and then getting going in and, and getting that pot and the flesh and the kid, and, and then giving it to the Lord and having it consumed in the fire, you know, that was a sacrifice. I, you know, Gideon didn't worry about where the next meal was going to come from, I don't think. He, he just was trusting in the Lord 100%. And uh, take everything that you have and commit it to the Lord. And... Uh, you know, that's where the confirmation comes in. Say, God, here, it's everything. It's, it's all yours. And, and when we get there, I think God can use us and will also bless our, our, uh, our journey, our mission, for whatever purpose, for his glory. I guess that's one of the things I want to draw your attention to, and that's in verses 18 and 19. And that is a relationship, especially a relationship with God, you know, takes effort and commitment and obedience. You think about that relationship, you know, Gideon didn't just, you know, it wasn't just a, uh, you know, look, it took effort to bring that offering out to him. And it's going to take effort on our part, too, to bring everything to the Lord and say, God, here it is. Give it up. And it's his. And then we see the fire, the angel reaching forth his staff and the fire consuming that as an, as an acceptance. And, uh, verse 23. I, I like what uh, the angel tells him. He says, And the Lord said unto unto Gideon, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. There is life in the presence of God this morning. There always is life in the presence of God. Always. And uh, you and I can lay claim to that, that promise this morning. Gideon, I think, was fearing for his life. He thought, wow, here's this fire coming out there, consuming that sacrifice. I'm next. And, uh, you know, Gideon was... And the angel came back to him and said unto him, Peace unto the Lord, peace unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. And uh, it was a reassuring, I believe, 
and you and I can be partakers. That doesn't mean that we will not pay with our physical lives. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But if we are where God wants us to be, and He requ- and we give up our physical life, that's only the, only the beginning. We will experience eternal life with Him. <clears throat> I think Davy read this morning in the devotional back further in, in, in Acts chapter 2, I thought of the expression of the New Testament of fire in Acts chapter 2 where we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, how did it appear? Didn't it appear in cloven tongues of fire? And uh, symbolizing the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. Uh, you know, Jesus said, you know, as he was here in his earthly ministry, you know, it, he was restricted to how he could, the relationships he could have to a certain degree. The physical relationships he could have as far as talking, eating, communicating, fellowshipping. But when he, he told him, he said, I've got to, I need to go so the comforter can come. And as he ascended up, he said, I will send you the comforter. And we see that Holy Spirit then being poured out there in the, uh, in, in Pentecost on the believers and in cloven tongues of fire. So this morning, I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord. I don't know where you're at in your journey of life. Uh, are you uh, on the backside of the Sinai Desert? Uh, I say, look for the burning bushes. Maybe you're in the wilderness. Look for the pillar of fire. Maybe you're hiding in a cave, impoverished, greatly impoverished, and uh, wondering why God has you here hidden away in a cave somewhere when God so miraculously had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. So I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord. There are are ten things that I'd like you to consider as I think about God communicating with you and me today. These these ten things I want you to think about. First of all, I believe God wants a personal relationship with each one of us. He was willing to die for you. God wants a personal relationship with you. So, Keep that in focus, whatever your experiences are, whether it's the wilderness, whether it's the Sinai desert, whether it's the dens and the caves of, of the land where God brought you to. Remember, God wants a personal relationship with you. Um, secondly, as you think of communication with God, as you think of knowing God's will, as you think of knowing God's plan for your life, consider your motives. Are they selfish or are they His purposes that you're pursuing? Third, um, I think we need to make it more than superficial. I think we need to look for results as we think of God speaking to us. You know, God, you think of the word of the Lord. It's, it's powerful. And, uh, you know, we think of, uh, you know, what it can accomplish. And uh, so we need to look at results. What, how is God's word uh, bringing change to my life? Making me more in his character and his likeness. You know, not superficial, deeper than superficial. Superficial is, is minor. But when you think of results, that's something that is, is, is going to be life-changing. And again, this goes back to Gideon number four. Be humble in your communication with Jesus in God. Um, we're, we're the, we're the, crea- we're the uh, creature. He's the creator. He understands us better than we know ourselves. Number five, uh, don't force God. There is times when we, we, we come to God and we say we need answers. We need answers. And we think we need answers. But don't force God. You know, do it on his timetable. Let him, uh, you know, it wasn't the shortest way up to, to the land of Canaan through the Philistines. God took them through the wilderness area for their own good. 
And uh, so don't force God's timetable. Uh, Number six, remember that God does communicate in many different ways. We looked at how God communicated through the avenue of fire. But God does communicate in many, many different ways. Number seven, think about the effect of communicating with God and speaking Him speaking to you. It needs to have a renewing effect on your mind. It, it renews us. It regenerates us. It makes us, uh, it gives us energy. Romans 12, 2. Uh, number eight, make God's word living. Make it alive. Make it come alive. Uh, and that begins by obeying what you do know today. Uh, I do not know uh, all of God's will, but what I know of God's will, I need to do. I need to be faithful in doing that. Number nine, recognize God's voice. There are many voices in the world today, but you think of the Good Shepherd passage here in John 10. Recognize God's voice. Learn to listen for it. And... Uh, the tenth point is that of setting aside time. You know, Moses turned aside. He set aside time. God got his attention. Allow God to get your attention. It may not be the miraculous thing. It may sometimes be in a still small voice. And God calls us aside and says he's got some information for us, a message for us to help us to grow. So think about those things as God speaks to us and as we journey through life that uh, whether it's the backside of the desert, the wilderness experience, or in dens and caves, God, I believe, would desire to speak to us. And I trust that will help you on in your journey through life.